try this. Okay. How many of you have had eaten french fries before? Okay. How many of you have eaten ice cream before? Okay. How many of you have eaten french fries with ice cream before? Okay. La. Not, not too unusual. La. The first time, the first time uh, I, I ate french fries with ice cream in front of somebody who hadn't experienced it before, they had this most disgusted look on their face. Right? Because it's something that is uh, not, not usually something that you, you think will go together, right? Because french fries are hot, right? Or at least they should be served hot uh, and salty, right? And then ice cream is cold. It should be cold and sweet. So it's like almost the direct opposite, right? And they're always eaten separately. You should eat french fries first, or at least I do, right? Finish all the fries first. Uh, and then you, you eat ice cream later, last, okay? So they're like almost opposite of everything that we, the, the way that we eat them. But one day, uh, I, the, the first time I, I, I was introduced to the idea, I was thinking, how can, how can they go together? But one day, a friend managed to convince me, try it, try it, just take a fry and try it, okay? So I did, and actually, I mean, those of you who have tried it, you know, lah. good, right? Uh, pretty good. Uh, so it, it's, okay, it's not a taste that everybody enjoys. If you're curious, you never tried before, later lunch, uh, just across the road, okay? Anyway, I'm sharing, with, uh, I'm sharing this with you now, not to make you hungry through service, okay? So don't go to McDonald's now, later. Uh, but to sort of illustrate the situation between Jews and Gentiles, okay? So the Jews uh, are basically the Israelites, uh, and what remains of the Israelites, okay? So we know that uh, the nation of Israel went through the period of kings, eventually split into two kingdoms, Northern Kingdom Israel, Southern King Judah, right? Uh, Southern Kingdom of Judah. So Northern Kingdom of Israel exiled to Assyria, scattered uh, a lot of the tribes, you know, the, the, the identity as Israelites, gone. Uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah exiled to Babylon, uh, a lot of them managed to come back. Okay, so the identity of God's people, the Israelites are now found in the Jews, okay, basically the, the southern kingdom, the remnants who came back. Okay, and so the, the Jews... Uh, are those who identify themselves as God's people. They trace their ancestor all the way back to Abraham, or at least they try to. Okay? And so, the, the, because the Jews were God's holy people, he set them apart. He, he basically said, you are special. Out of all the people in the world whom I have created, you are in particular different special set apart okay and if you've been in church long enough you know that the word holy literally means to be set apart okay to be separated from everything else that is not special okay so god uh, chose the the israelites and the jews to be his holy people and part of that setting apart was they would have their own land they would have their own laws they would identify as his chosen people, very different from the rest of the world. Gentiles, on the other hand, are the Danlain Laina, okay? Whoever is not a Jew is a Gentile, okay? 
So, from the beginning of the nation of Israel all the way until the book of Acts, the Jews understood they are completely different from the Gentiles. They are set apart, they are holy, they are different. They are not supposed to mix together. And so part of their law was also that they don't associate with a Gentile, okay? You keep yourself separate, pure. Uh, don't be corrupted by everybody else. Okay, a bit like French fries and ice cream, lah. you should not go together. Okay, but after Jesus came to die for the forgiveness of sins, not just for the Jews, but for all people on earth, God set in motion for a new recipe. Okay, that, okay now fries and, and ice cream can go together, allowed. Uh, and now you can enjoy that new taste. Okay, so what kept the Jews and Gentiles apart was no longer in place after Jesus came. And that brings me to our big idea today, that God accepts all who know Him and believe in Him. Okay, so this is our takeaway. If you forget everything that I say today, remember God accepts all who know Him and believe in Him. Now, at the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, when we first began our series on Acts, uh, we saw how Jesus told his disciples not just a command, but a, a promise of what would happen, right? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we know that shortly after that, the Holy Spirit did come upon them, at Pentecost, thousands in Jerusalem would hear the gospel of Jesus and they, they, they were being added to the number of believers every day. And so the gospel went to Jerusalem. And then after Stephen is stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, the believers are scattered. Okay, so there was a great persecution and they, they, they scattered throughout Samaria and Judea. So they, they were gathered in Jerusalem. Now they poof, they go into Samaria and Judea. Okay? And Philip shares the gospel in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And Peter brings it to some provinces in Judea in Acts chapter 9. So we can see this promise uh, of, of Jesus already coming true within the first uh, 10 chapters of Acts. Okay, the, the, the gospel has gone to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Today, we will see the final part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 coming into play. And that is the rest of the nations, the ends of the earth. Okay? Now, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Chongjin shared about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? If you remember how Philip uh, followed the, the leading of the Spirit to go and share the good news with this Ethiopian eunuch. That was the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. And after Saul's conversion, we know that Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul, one of his, he, he, he went on many missionary journeys, and primarily to the Gentiles, okay? And so he becomes a huge part of how God will bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But for now, 
the story today shifts back from Saul to Peter. So last week, uh, we saw the, the conversion, the transformation of Saul. Now the story comes back to Peter. And the events that follow are a little long, a bit much to, care, to, to cover in one sermon. But as I was preparing this message, I felt led to zoom in on this one passage that was read to us just now. And basically, this, this passage is a, a snapshot of the gospel message that Peter presents. Okay, and so that's what we will be focusing on today because not only is the gospel always relevant in our lives, but a lot of times we need reminding. Okay, we, we are forgetful people. We, we need constant reminders. But before we, we look at that passage, just a bit of background to this passage. Cornelius is a Roman. He is a Gentile. Uh, he is not a Jew, huh? and he fears the Lord, uh, and he is, uh, so he's known as a God-fearer, basically somebody who acknowledges the, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews, um, but he himself is not a Jew, okay, but he acknowledges him, uh, he prays to him, and he, he seems to, to try to follow some of the teachings, okay. And so he is visited by an angel of God, okay, who says, okay, uh, you have been basically acknowledging God, uh, and so something is going to happen. And so this angel of the Lord instructs Cornelius to send men to go to Joppa to bring Peter to him. Okay, Peter is in Joppa. So in the meantime, Peter is in Joppa, and Joppa is a city in Judea, so this is part of the whole uh, the gospel going through, through Judea. And he performs some miracles, you know, where the apostles go, miracles are happening, and people are, are basically coming to faith. The, the miracles give them an opportunity to share the gospel. So Peter is in Joppa, uh, he preaches gospel there, and then he is in a house, he is hungry, and he falls asleep. Okay, he's, he's too hungry until he, he lost energy and falls asleep. I don't know. But he sees a vision in his dream. Okay, he sees a vision. And he sees a sheet containing animals that were considered unclean by Mosaic law. So you have to remember that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, these people have been avoiding these animals. They have never, uh, or, or rather the, the good Jews, lah, were, were avoiding eating these types of animals. They were considered unclean, okay, by Mosaic law. And so Peter hears God instruct him, kill and eat whatever is considered unclean by Mosaic law. And so this vision was a revelation to Peter about how God had made clean things that were previously considered unclean. Okay, we'll, we'll look a little bit more at this vision later. But we see the purpose of this revelation almost immediately. Because while G uh, Peter is having this vision, uh, almost immediately after that, he's still thinking about it. What does it mean? Huh? Then Cornelius's men come to, to where Peter is and ask for him. And so the Holy Spirit also tells Peter at that point, go, meet this man. So Peter knows that God is involved in this meeting, uh, and the vision, it is it, very likely it is um, closely associated with what he has just seen in this vision. 
So they uh, invite them to come in. Okay? Uh, the next day, they set out for Cornelius' house. And so Cornelius is waiting for Peter, okay? waiting for his men to bring Peter back. He's gathered all his relatives, his kakilanga, his close friends, come, uh, come and hear what this guy has to say because the angel basically sent for him, right? So Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius tells him, we are here to listen to everything God has told you to tell us, basically. Can you imagine? This is a free pass uh, to preach and evangelize. Somebody invite you to their house. Come, tell us about the Christian faith. All those who are looking for opportunity to evangelize, this is like, you know, uh, striking gold. Anyway, uh, Peter speaks. He spells out the gospel for Cornelius and his household. Okay, and that brings us to our passage today. Now, as I was going through this passage of verse 34 to 43, I kept coming back in my, in my reading and in my study, I kept coming back to three main verbs or, or action words that you, you can find in Peter's speech, okay, his words to Cornelius and his household. The first word was accept in verse 35. The second word was no in verse 36 and, and onwards. And the third word was belief in verse 43. Okay, so we're going to look at these three things. So the first word, accept, is really talking about God's acceptance. Okay, so today, especially those of us who have been able to share our faith with others. We are very quick to assure those who are not familiar with the Christian faith, we're quick to assure them, God loves you. Jesus loves you. God will accept you, right? No matter who they are, no matter what they have done. We tell them, you know, you don't worry. They say, ah, oh, very bad person. You don't know what I did in the past. You say, it's okay. You know, God will accept you. But if you took a time machine back to this period of history in the book of Acts, this is an alien idea for God, the God of Israel, to accept just anybody, okay? As I mentioned earlier, God had chosen the people of Israel from Abraham onwards. He has a special relationship with them. Uh, and that special relationship did not extend to the other nations, okay? The other nations didn't have the same sort of covenants or agreements to be called his people, no, only the Israelites and subsequently down to the Jews. Huh? Okay, uh, so just a point of clarification. This does not mean that the other nations, the Gentiles, were not able to worship God if they wanted to. Okay, so God was not shutting off access to him, to the Gentiles. Uh, there were what were known as God-fearers like Cornelius, okay, who wanted to worship the Lord, uh, but they weren't able to participate in the proper worship of how God said he was to be worshipped. Okay, uh, they weren't able to participate in the different religious acts, uh, festivals that were all in the centre of worshipping the Lord according to how he prescribed. So, there were God-fearers like Cornelius. Then there were those who were also taken next step in their devotion and their faith to worship this God of Israel, even though they are Gentiles. 
And what they did was they basically converted. But they didn't just say, okay, uh, last time I worshipped uh, pagan god, now I worship Yahweh. Not as easy as that. They basically had to become a Jew. Okay, so they, they didn't just uh, change their religion. They changed their life, basically. Okay, they became a totally different ethnicity in terms of culture, in terms of practice and everything. Okay, they were known as proselytes. Pros, yeah, proselytes. So they basically became Jews in order to worship God. But with the coming of Jesus and the new covenant that he brought made by his blood, the fact that he died for the sins of mankind, that whoever believes in him would be reconciled back to God, that new covenant, God revealed a new thing to Peter through this vision that is given to him. And so what, what God was revealing when he said, okay, now uh, what, what, has, what has been unclean uh, is now clean, uh, basically the, the application of that is that the church no longer just the Jews, but the church, the people who followed Jesus, they were now the people called to be set apart for God. There was no longer any spiritual distinction between Jew and Gentile. So it's no longer about what color is your skin, who are your parents. It, is, it was now, do you believe in Jesus? Faith in Christ was the new qualifying factor. We'll look at that more later. So, remember, Jews, Gentiles don't mix. Huh? All the, the legal, cultural walls that have been built up for centuries between Jews and Gentiles are now all broken down. And this is not because the Jews were now given license to live like the unclean Gentiles. Okay, so God wasn't saying, okay, uh, now the Jews are like just any other Gentile. Uh, even though they are unclean and they don't know me, you, know, you can live like them. No. Rather, God has made it possible for even the Gentiles to be clean. Okay, so, so God wasn't lowering his standards and saying, okay, now the Jews can be unclean. God was saying, now even the unclean Gentiles who did not have access to, to, to him, uh, did not have access to being cleansed by him, now even they can be clean. And so the old covenant, the Mosaic law, had fulfilled its purpose for that season to show you know, the, the intended distinctiveness of a people belonging to God, how different they are from the rest of the world, uh, and to, to also show how unsolvable their problem of sin is, that even the chosen people of God cannot run away from the problem of sin. So God had already shown the world uh, and also shown Israel those things in the Old Covenant. Now was a new time. Now was a new thing. A time for God to reveal to the whole world that this problem of sin can be solved, but it's not by keeping the law. It is by the grace of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Okay. Through faith in Jesus, they, all of the world could now be his people and belong to him and be set apart for him. God has made it possible for even the Gentiles 
to be clean. So, when verse 34 talks about how God did not show favoritism, okay, or in some versions, God does not show partiality, it is not talking about how He is now uh, giving chance to the Gentiles. Like, you know how, you know, you, as a parent, you might say, uh, before you can go out and play, you must finish uh, 10 questions of your homework. You must finish all 10 questions. And then your, your kid may bug you and bug you and bug you. I want to go out and play. I want to go out and play. See, I finished already. I finished I finish five questions. And they are like, I, uh, I stop bugging me. La. I, uh, okay, okay, you finish six. You finish six, then you can go out and play already. Okay, so it's not like that, that God was lowering his, his standards to accept something. Not that kind of accepting. Okay? Instead, the Greek word for accept in, in verse 35 means something more along the lines of looking favorably upon something. Okay? So not, not that, okay, I have no choice, I, I, I don't like this, I'm reluctant, but okay, fine, I will accept. No, it is a I am looking favorably upon this thing. This thing is pleasing me and so I will take it. Okay? That sort of accepting. So in that sense, God is not showing favoritism because just as how the Israelites were completely unable to earn their way into being favored by Him and to have access to Him, the Gentiles were just as unable Okay, in that sense, God was not showing favoritism. The one who feared God and did what was right was defined by their ability to keep the law under the old covenant. The Israelites were the ones who came under that. But now with the sacrifice of Jesus, even the Gentiles were able to fear God. Even the Gentiles were able to do what is right through faith in Christ. Friends, as a non-Jew, speaking to mostly non-Jews, I think, lah, mostly non-Jews, uh, the, the fact that we have access to God through Jesus is truly by His grace. It is truly by, entirely by God's grace. One of the foundational truths about the gospel story is that God loved everyone. He sent Jesus to die not just for the Jews, but for everyone. And what that means for us is that even before you believe in Jesus, God loved you, all right? And God loved you and accepted you by giving you access to salvation from sin without you doing anything to deserve it, without you being anything to deserve it before you even ask for it. So if by any chance, any of you here today, uh, either in person or online, any of you do not yet believe in Jesus, let me just assure you, God loves you. God accepts you. He has sent His Son Jesus to die for you and give you access to salvation from sin, give you access to eternal life. And nothing can change that fact. And on top of the universal fact that Jesus has died for all, giving all access to Him, 
is the fact that all of us deserve to be rejected by God because we have all sinned. Bible tells us all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us deserve God's acceptance. We are all separated from God by default. And yet the death and resurrection of Jesus for the sake of mankind, the fact that he died for all, shows that he loves and accepts all. And so as long as you're a human, regardless of your race, regardless of your nationality, no matter what religion you were raised in, you can be certain you have a way back to God because He will accept you. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past, doesn't matter what your level of understanding is, doesn't matter how ugly you feel your character is or how unlovable you feel, God still loves you and is ready to welcome you back into relationship with Him with open arms. But I need to point out the acceptance, the acceptance that God has for us is conditional. Because verse 35 tells us God accepts not just anyone and everyone, but He accepts the one who fears Him and does what is right. That is still the condition for God accepting because God does not uh, accept just anybody because all have sinned, right? And God is so holy, He cannot accept sin. And so if our sins are still upon us and not dealt with, He cannot accept the sin that is with us. And so God's love is unconditional. He loves all, but His acceptance is conditional because we can only be accepted through Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus comes upon us. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so even though God's love and acceptance by salvation from sin is given to everyone through faith in Jesus, the only way to experience the effects of the sacrifice of Jesus, the only way to be truly accepted by God without having anything to separate us from Him, the only way to have full life that Jesus promises is true faith in Him. So let's take a moment to reflect on our first question. What is one way that you have experienced God's acceptance? And would you take some time to thank God for it? And for any children who might be joining us online with their family, what is one time when you feel like God's child? Say thank you to God for it. Okay, let's take two minutes to ponder upon this.
So that was the first verb, the first action word, accept. Let's move on to the second verb that I'd like us to look at from today's passage. Know. That man knows. When Peter says to Cornelius and his household in verses 36 and 37, he says, you know, uh, the Greek word for this knowing is talking about knowledge that comes from observing or perceiving something with senses. Okay, so it's similar to the expression of you've seen with your eyes, okay, or you may have heard from others. So this knowledge comes from an observation, right? It is a knowing about something. It is a cognitive knowledge. Now, this knowing is different from the relational knowing of God that the Bible often talks about as part of the Christian faith. A lot of times when the Bible talks about knowing God, it is as a person, not knowing about Him, but knowing Him in relationship. And so what that shows us is that many people know about Jesus. Many people may have seen things uh, and observed Jesus or heard about Jesus. They have learned about Him, but that is not enough for them to come to the Father. Some of us uh, might have known Jesus through the Bible. Uh, verse 43 says that the prophets testify about Jesus and the gospel. And so the entire Bible, from beginning to end, reveals Jesus and his work on the cross, the need for Jesus, what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus has done on the cross. And so if you have heard at least one sermon or you've been in one Bible study lesson before, you should know about Jesus in some way, right? Because you know, everything in the Old Testament points forward to Christ, everything in the New Testament points backward to Christ. And so some of us might have grown up in church school. We know the gospel story. Some of us didn't grow up in church school. Uh, instead, we grew up in mission schools. Okay, so we still hear the gospel story. Uh, many of us did not experience either church school or mission school, but we know the gospel story somehow, right? Either we read it or we watched it or we heard it from someone. So some of us know about Jesus through the Bible. Some of us know about Jesus through personal experience in actually seeing a miracle or seeing the risen Jesus uh, in, in some vision. Uh, many people experience Jesus in different ways before they even place their faith in Him. So I know of people who are uh, in hospital, they go through near-death experiences, and they mention that they see, or uh, they testify, they have seen this, this light uh, figure in a white robe, uh, and they know in their heart that it is Jesus appearing to them. Okay? But that is even before they have placed their faith in Jesus. So some may have visions of him. Some may be healed by him. Some may have tried praying to him and they have been answered by him. They know about him, but they still do not yet have a relationship with him. Some of us know about Jesus through the experiences of others. Maybe you have a friend uh, who's a Christian. They keep telling you about what Jesus has done for them. Maybe you have a relative who says that Jesus healed them of something miraculously. 
And so we can come to know about Jesus through the experiences of other people. We can learn about what he's like. But again, knowing about Jesus is not enough. Because even if you go back to the gospel, the people whom Jesus healed, the crowd witnessed those things with their own eyes. They knew about him. They experienced it firsthand. But not all of them followed him and continued to have relationship with him. In fact, after Jesus was arrested, he was deserted by everyone, even his own disciples. Shortly after that, uh, sorry, shortly before uh, Jesus was arrested, Jesus prays for his disciples and, and uh, the world. Uh, Jesus mentions in his prayer to the Father that eternal life is knowing the Father and Jesus. And this time, the Greek word for knowing is not the same word for knowing that I mentioned earlier, that knowing about something. This time, this word for knowing is that relational knowing that comes from a personal experience of relationship with a person. And so eternal life comes through knowing God and Jesus as a person in relationship. And so just quickly, I'd like you to just ponder on this question. Do you know Jesus as a person? Or do you only know about him? How can you tell? If you, if you say you, you know Jesus as a person, how can you tell? What are some indicators? Okay, and for the kids, is Jesus someone real to you? Or is he only somebody you've learned about? And so parents, you can take this opportunity to pray with your kids to know Jesus as a real person, even if they know him already, uh, to know him even better. Okay, let's take two minutes for this.
So the first word, accept. Second word, know. Let's look at the last word, believe. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of their sins. That's what uh, Peter tells Cornelius and those listening. And so believing in Jesus is the pillar of our Christian identity. You are defined as a Christian not when you, you know, learn about Jesus or when you talk about Jesus or when you go to church or you know, when you uh, do churchy things. You are defined as a Christian only if you believe in Jesus. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him as a real person. And in order to know Jesus as a real person, to have that relationship with Him, that needs to come with believing in Him. Because you cannot have a real relationship with an imaginary person that you don't believe in, right? Now, going back to Peter's vision, where God showed him, uh, to, he showed him the, the, the sheet and the unclean animals. He tells him, kill, eat the animals that are considered unclean by Mosaic law. Peter tells God, surely not, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, this is the NIV, okay? The, the New International Version. But the literal Greek for, this, for Peter's response is not, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The literal Greek reads, never have I eaten anything common or unclean. And likewise, when God responds, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, the little Greek is, what God has cleansed, you are not to call common. Okay? So I just wanted to point out here, uh, although within the context of, of this passage, uh, common can be translated as impure, I found it very fascinating uh, to... to that, that I felt I need to highlight this word, common, because common is the opposite of uncommon, right? Okay? Uh, common is the opposite of something special. And when we are talking about uh, holiness and being set apart and being different and being special, common is the opposite, being like everyone else, being like everything else. Okay? And so this... Commonness is the opposite of holiness. And just to go a step further, that word, uh, this, this word that is translated as common, is not just talking about what is common and ordinary like everything else. It is talking about how uh, treating something that is special as ordinary. So that thing has been made special, but treating it in an ordinary way. Okay, so um, let's say, for example, you, you, you set aside, okay, you are celebrating your wife's 50th birthday, very special, okay? And you set aside this knife, very nice gold-plated knife to cut the cake, uh, especially for cutting the cake, okay? You have set it aside and you say this knife is only for cutting her 50th birthday cake. But then, somebody takes that knife and go and chop, uh, pork chop, 
Okay, go and cut char siu at the butcher there. Okay, so it's like that. You have set it apart for something special and it has been made common. Okay, so that's the idea here. Now, why am I talking about this? This, this commonness and, and being set apart? Because holiness, what sets God apart and makes them holy, is not what they eat or don't eat or what they do or don't do, what religious ritual they observe or don't observe. What sets people apart what, sets, what makes people holy in God's eyes is what they believe. And so, oh, sorry, yeah, it's what they believe. And that's the whole subject of faith. And so when you, when you zoom in down to the, the very center of the Christian faith, okay, it's called the Christian faith, huh? uh, and the, it's the subject of faith. It's not in the actions, it's not in the words, it's not in the habits. It is faith, what we believe. If you've been following Christ long enough, you'll be able to observe that what truly affects our relationship with God is not just what we do or what we don't do. It is more than that, it's what we believe. And so if you, if you have been reflecting enough, especially after you know, we've been doing reflection questions for quite some time, uh, you realise you see a pattern that what affects your relationship is not your actual action, not the actual sin or, or, or righteous thing that you do. It is what you believe about God. Because when we believe something and we're truly convinced of it, it affects, how we, uh, it affects what we say, it affects how we behave, it affects the sort of priorities we have. And that's why faith is foundational to our Christian journey now let me just quickly walk you through the logic of this just very quickly. If you believe in Jesus, it means that you believe He's real. He existed, okay? So He's not just some imaginary concept. You believe He really did walk this earth. He died. He rose again. And that's a literal fact, not a story, not a myth. And if you believe that He was real, you would also believe that God the Father is real because Jesus had a real relationship with him. If you believe that God the Father is real, then you also believe in his word and what he has been uh, telling to the prophets and those who, who, who wrote the Bible. That, and you believe that all the instructions and teachings in the Bible are really from God and not just something that people randomly wrote to get people to do. And if you believe that the Bible is from God, then you believe that it is important. What God says in the Bible is important and for our own good to know certain things, to behave in a certain manner and so on. And if you believe that these teachings are important and ultimately for your own good, you would do them, right? You would follow them. You would behave accordingly. And so when we, when we struggle with obedience, when we struggle with following what the Bible clearly teaches, it is not an issue of that thing. We are not actually struggling with that thing. We're struggling with our belief of that thing. When we struggle with um, something like theft, okay? When we struggle with the, the idea that stealing is wrong, uh, it's not that 
we are struggling with the actual thing of, okay, I should not be stealing from others. We are struggling with the belief that I believe I should be able to take whatever is, does not belong to me. Okay? Or I believe that God has not provided enough for me. Or I believe that uh, no, uh, God will understand if I take something that doesn't belong to me because that's how He provides for me. So, so it's really a matter of belief. I just want to quickly wrap up here that this is why James chapter 2 says that faith without, uh, faith without deeds is dead because our deeds indicate the state of our faith. That if we truly did believe in Jesus, we truly did believe in the God of the Bible, we truly did believe what the Bible says, we would not struggle with behavior as much. Okay? So let's look at our last question for today. What does how you live your life tell you about what you believe? Okay, so you can reflect on maybe the past week, how you lived your past week, what you did, what you did not do. What does that tell you about what you believe? And for the kids, will your friends be able to tell you, uh, will your friends be able to tell that you believe in Jesus if you didn't mention it to them? Okay, why or why not? Let's take two minutes for this. In conclusion, I'd like us to know that God accepts all who know Him and believe in Him. I'd like you to be thankful for the access that we have to God and salvation from sin. And do live out your faith in Jesus. Now, before we close, I just want to give us all an opportunity to respond to God. And so, will you just spend some moments before God in prayer, 
come before the Lord. If you've realized at some point that you do not truly know or believe in Jesus, would you take that step now? Would you ask Jesus to come into your life right now to forgive you of all your sins because you cannot remove them on your own, to become the Lord and Master of your life? And if you do believe in Jesus, but upon reflection you've discovered how you, that how you live your life has been showing gaps in what you believe, would you ask God to set your heart right before Him? Would you pray a prayer of commitment to knowing Him better and surrendering to Him and His ways more? And if you struggle with a sense of rejection that you don't feel accepted by God, will you just allow yourself now to embrace Him, to experience His embrace? Not because of what you've done or what you've not done, but because of who He is, what He's finished on the cross. And would you thank Him Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died with outstretched arms, welcoming all, giving all of us the love and acceptance that we yearn for. Lord, you know the true state of our hearts. You know the state of our faith. For those of us still seeking, knowing about you, but not yet knowing you personally, Help us out of our indecision and give us the courage to leap into your outstretched arms. For those of us who have known you and who do believe in you and your word, give us absolute faith, Lord. Give us a faith that is not selective, a faith that places the truth and goodness of your person and your teachings above ourselves and everything around us. We believe, Lord, Help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, let us rise as we sing our closing song.
mighty to save even us. You're mighty to save even those whom we might have lost hope for. Yet, Lord, in a history where there was separation, not just between Jews and Gentiles, but even your own chosen people, how they separated themselves from you constantly, Yet, Lord, you are still mighty to save. That your grace is enough for all. So thank you, Lord, for each of us individually that we have the privilege of being called, that we can be called your child. 
that we can say that we know the God of the universe, that nothing separates us from your love because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Help us to continue to hope in that promise that all who would come to you, Lord, you accept. Thank you. And I receive your blessing. May the love of the Father and the tenderness of the Son and the presence of the Spirit gladden your heart and bring peace to your soul this day and all days. The blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you now and always. Amen. Please be seated.